Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to start reading in verse 17. If you don't have them, that's fine. We're going to show it to you on the screen behind me. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Everyone say, what must I do? Remember that. We're going to come back to that. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not, be, you must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And this amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. Yes, Jesus said, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the sake of the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. There is a lot going on in this story. And we're going we're gonna to unpack it a little bit today. Um, it's one of those stories that's easy to read over and read, read beyond because you're like, I just don't get it, so I'm not going to land here for too long. Um, but when you, when you realize the context of what Jesus was speaking to and the atmosphere and what Jesus picked up, it starts to make sense. So as we go along, hopefully it'll make perfect sense to you. Here we find a young man who's not too different than you and I today, believe it or not. And it's as if this young man was crying out, saying, I was meant for more than this. 
I've entitled the message today, Made for More, because you and I are made for more than what we settle for. And um, this question that the young man posed, it was, it was more than a question about heaven. It was a question about life. And Jesus makes that clear in his response when he said, well, you know the commandments. And the young man almost, you know, is saying, yes, but that's not enough. Something is missing. I've done all of that, and yet something is not right. You could just see the cry of this young man. This young man was handed the keys of the kingdom, but he walked away because what he had meant more to him than what he was offered. Sometimes the emptiness that we know is better than the journey to something better because we don't know it. This young man, as we read about him, was rich in two different ways. The first way he was rich was he was rich and he had great moral wealth. We see that he was a young man of moral excellence. He, he, he abided by the commandments. And he said, since I was young, I followed these ways. And he, he just did all the right things. He was the kind of guy that any religious leader or any pastor today would want in his church. He was just good, and he did the right things, and he was a good man with moral excellence. And he also had great financial wealth, we read about. It's interesting that that was not even brought up in the conversation until Jesus brought it up. But he appeared to have it all together. Even being able to admit that he didn't have it all together was a plus, because you're like, man, this, this young man is impressive. He's achieved it all. He's in a great spot. He's a good guy. And yet there's something missing. And then Jesus sends him away with a very strong answer, doesn't he? He sends him away with a message that he's totally outside the kingdom of God. And it freaks his disciples out. It lends itself to this question for you and I today. Is it possible for us to have it all together and be sent away packing by Jesus? Think about that. It says that when he went away sad, that word in the Greek, is a better translation for that is grieved. He went away grieved. And, and so this young man had set out in life with goals and ambitions and, and was successful in everything he did. And he did all the right things. He, he did all the right things. He was, he, was, he was really trying to be a good person. But he lacked just one thing. It's as if he was climbing a mountain and he was almost to the top of that mountain. He was, he was just a couple steps away from reaching the pinnacle of that mountain And he turns to Jesus and says, I just need one more step to get there. What is it? I just need to do one more thing. And Jesus, in one sentence, shatters his whole life premise. And he, and he shows this young man, you're completely on the wrong road. You're far from the kingdom, young man. 
many of us here today might ask ourselves, what is that one thing that I lack in my spiritual walk? What is there, what's that thing that I'm missing in my walk, in my religion? What is that one thing? What just, what is that? And, and I believe that there's a danger that you and I could be sent away grieving. Because, I mean, compared to this young man's life, I, that, that would be, I mean, I wish I could say the things that he said about his life. He was a good man, moral excellence, financial, well, he, he had it all. I, I'm, I can't even measure up to that. Today I want to show you four reasons why I feel that the young man had walked away grieved or sad. I just want to show you the four reasons, and I want to apply them to our lives, obviously. The first reason, number one, is that I believe that he encountered the real Jesus. For the first time, he was hearing the real message of Jesus. And when you're confronted with the real Jesus and you hear the real message, you are always going to be disturbed. You are always going to be shocked. I think that a lot of us, have created an image of Jesus in our minds that we follow, and sometimes that image has nothing to do with the real Jesus. It's a Jesus that saves us from problems. It's a Jesus that rescues us when we're in trouble. It's a Jesus of convenience. It's a Jesus that, that he just fills in the gaps where we lack and gives us a measure of uh, religiosity and contentment, and we, and we, we create this image of Jesus that really has nothing to do with the real Jesus. And when you encounter the real Jesus, and especially in the religious establishment, he will turn things upside down. So when you begin to understand the real gospel, it will shock you in a couple of different ways. You will realize that Jesus wants much more from you than you ever thought. But you'll also realize that he offers you much more than you ever imagined. And our response goes either one of two ways when we're confronted with that. We accept it. We humbly bow. We surrender everything to him. And we say, you have it all. Or we walk away offended or grieved. But there's one thing that's impossible in this whole thing, one thing that's impossible, and that is when you actually meet the real Jesus, that you stay indifferent. Because when you're confronted with the real Jesus, you cannot be indifferent. You are forced to make a decision, aren't you? Let me ask you this today. If you find Christianity to be irrelevant in a lot of ways, to be limiting or restricting to things that you like to do and want to do, you find it comforting to a degree where when your life is full of turmoil and you need some relief, you will dip your finger in just long enough to get a little comfort and then go and, and go your way. You find uh, that Christianity produces a sense of guilt in you or even a, a sense of anxiety because you just feel like you're, you're, you're never doing enough, you're never doing the right things. If, if any of those things would 
be things that you find yourself wrestling with, then I, I believe that you probably haven't seen the real Jesus, and you're probably really in the grip of indifference. So he went away sad and grieved because he encountered the real Jesus, the real message. You know, we always, we always ask God, you know, search my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me. And when he does, man, it just messes us up. <laughs> That's a dangerous prayer to pray. Search my heart. Search my motives. Point out if there's anything in me that's wrong. And God says, okay, all these things. I didn't want you to. I wasn't serious, God. The second reason why I believe that this young man went away grieved was because Jesus destroyed his own perception of religion. His views are not only common to that day, but his views are common today. He came to Jesus knowing that he lacked something. And he came to Jesus with two assumptions that Jesus completely destroys. One of those assumptions was that Christianity is something that you can simply add to your life. There's a lot of people, even in this day, that, that feel like that that Jesus, serving Jesus, is just an addition to my life. That, that I have this much time and I'll put Jesus there. I have this much of this and I'll put Jesus. And it's just an addition to your life. And, 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 and our question is always, what else do I need to add to my life to become better? How much, what do I need to do to make my life better? And Christianity is not something you add to your life. It's more like an explosion that happens in your life and wrecks everything that you've built up to make way for something new. And when you meet the real Jesus, you will be transformed. Because even when dead bodies were in the presence of the real Jesus, they came out transformed. Jesus would walk into a city and his very presence would turn it upside down. Why? Because it was shocking when they met the real Jesus. The real Jesus, I submit to you, might be different than the Jesus that we've created in our minds. So that's the first assumption that Jesus just completely wrecks. The second uh, assumption was that um, Christianity is something that you can do. He said, what must I do? And I believe Jesus is sitting there thinking, you... That's why Jesus answered the disciples and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But through God, all things are possible. He, there's a life lesson here that if you think that you're going to do anything to help God out, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Remember, remember the story of Nicodemus in John 3? And Nicodemus and the young man were similar in some ways. He approaches Jesus and and he says this to Jesus. He, here's a guy that's a Pharisee. He, he's a, you know, he knows the law in and out. And he comes to Jesus under the cover of night and says, Jesus, what must I do to become saved? Jesus could have said, well, you know, you need to add a little of this and add a little of that. You know what Jesus said? He, Nicodemus, you must be completely born again. You must be willing to let 
the gospel, the kingdom of God, just just destroy, wreck, shatter everything in your life that you've built up to this point and, and let a new kingdom be birthed in your heart. I believe that Jesus was saying to this young man, you, you, you don't need one more thing to get to the top. What I have will smash all that and show you a whole new path. Because, young man, you've been on the wrong path. And this young man's assumptions are the same as ours today. We feel like we can add, simply add Jesus to our life so we feel a little bit better and that we can do something. To ch- and, and the reality is, is that it's not a matter of goodness that gets you into the kingdom of God. And Jesus, his hard response to the question was, take all your wealth and give it away Um, I believe that what Jesus was trying to tell him was if God is really in your life, then everything else is trivial compared to him. I believe the next reason that he walked away grieved was that Jesus got real with him. See, this young man came to him and he thought his problem was simply academic in nature. The young man was kind of saying, is there something I'm missing? Is there something I'm not getting here? I'm not understanding. That's academic. And Jesus refused to stay academic with him. Jesus goes right to the heart of the whole thing. Now watch this. It says that looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. So this is what I see here. Jesus is listening to this young man, but Jesus looks not at his outward, but Jesus looks into his soul. And it says that Jesus genuinely loved this young man. Now, before you panic and say, for me to get to heaven, i got to give away all my money to the poor. Let's put it in context. There's nowhere else in Scripture Jesus ever asked anyone to do this. In fact, Nicodemus would be the closest story, and Jesus said, give 50% that you've earned uh, to the poor because you stole it from them. But this isn't, this isn't a principle. This story has nothing to do with financial resources or wealth. It has everything to do with a heart issue. So just know that. So you can take a deep breath. But I believe Jesus is looking at this young man. He's feeling this tremendous sense of love in him. The young man never mentioned that he was wealthy. And he's, he's literally standing before the real Jesus And he's saying, there's something missing. And I believe that Jesus is saying to this young man, underneath it all, there's a power struggle that you're having with your dreams. Remember Abraham? Remember the story of Abraham and God had promised him a son and he was really old and it didn't look like that was going to happen and then it happened. And he named his son Isaac and and Isaac was the the son that he had dreamed for, that God God had promised him. And, and then, then, can you believe it? God says, I want you to take him up to the mountain and I want you to sacrifice your only son. And the Bible says in the New Testament that Abraham believed in resurrection. So Abraham went up to that mountain willing to put his son to death because he believed that God would raise him from the dead. And he went up there. And of course, we know that God didn't allow him to do that. God rescued Isaac. But I believe what Jesus is saying here is that, young man, I, 
just like he would to Abraham, I want your dreams. I want your dreams. That thing that's most important in your life, I want that. I want that thing in your life that you dream about for a life of success and contentment, but without me, but without God in it. That's the thing I want. I want the most important thing in your life. I want that thing that you dream about. And I believe Jesus is saying, I want that thing that you think about that's going to bring you everything you're looking for without me in it. I want that. Until you give it all to me, we're not right. And young man, it's killing you inside. We have to kill this thing before it kills you. Let me decide how much wealth you're going to have. Put me first and be willing to part with anything because of me. See, it's troubling when you're standing in front of the real Jesus. <coughs> this was not an academic issue. It was about surrendering your dreams. I, be, I feel like many of us try to help God along with our dreams. I believe that a lot of us go through life and we're like, you know what, Lord, I'm not sure you can handle this, so let me make some decisions and I just ask for you to bless my decisions. And I believe that God is saying, I'm not something that you're going to add to your life to make your life better or easier. I want to take your life, turn it upside down, <laughs> smash everything that you've built up that doesn't have me in it, and start from scratch and give you a brand new life. See, that's encountering the real Jesus, encountering the real gospel. As I close, our band is going to come out and our team is going to come and, and distribute communion. But I want to close with the last point today, the last thought. And the last reason why I believe this man walked away grieved or sad. Number four is that it was about treasure in heaven. <clears throat> And he did not understand what treasure in heaven truly was. There are two things about treasure in heaven that this young man didn't understand. And I think that most people today don't understand. When you think about all that God has done for you and I. When you think about the fact that mankind has, has constantly turned their backs on God. And that God has pursued us with a relentless love. And that God made a way by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we had someone that could stand in the gap for us. And because Jesus died for our sins and shed his blood, that God declares you and I righteous, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. You were bought with a price. The Bible says that, that Jesus paid, he was the ransom for you and I. So this is what I think that people don't understand about uh, treasures in heaven. That the first thing is, is that he is our treasure in heaven. Him and him alone. You are not going to bring anything with you. Uh, someone might put some knickknacks in your casket 
But you, guess what? You're not bringing that with you. Your bank account, your, the number of deals that you've closed, the kind of house you live in, the kind of car you drive, that'll be completely irrelevant when you stand before God. For us, the treasure of heaven is, is God himself. But here's the second thing that I, I think that can be misunderstood. You are his treasure in heaven. You. He loves you that much. And I love a God that's willing to tell us, I really, really, really love you, but you're on the wrong road. You're worshiping a Jesus that's not me. I'm not something that you can just add to your life to make it feel better. I'm the one that will smash all the things in your life that you've built up that have nothing to do with me so that we can make way for a new life. I'm not someone to, to, to help you get off drugs for a temporary time. I'm someone who's going to fill the need in your heart that you'll never have a desire to go back to drugs again. <clears throat> God is a God of transformation. And the times in my life where I struggled with something, it was because I didn't allow God to come in and wreck things in my life so that I could be free. I just simply wanted to add him to my life. It doesn't work that way. I believe God is saying here that, young man, you will truly be free if you see in me and me alone that you are rich. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.